Did that work? Oh, look at that. Matthew 6. Boom. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> We're going to read and then we'll pray. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds, giving alms, that's charitable deeds, um, giving to the poor is the idea. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I tell you, or I say to you, they they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed, <clears throat> that your charitable deed may be in secret. Seeing your father who who sees the secret, he sees in secret, he will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you, sh you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love, you, you shall not be like the actors, the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't use uh, empty repetitions, vain repetitions, as the heathen or as the nations do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, don't be like them. See, your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom comes, your kingdom come, and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Give us today give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our our debtors and don't lead us don't lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen see if you if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the, the actors, the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, sad face. For they disfigure their faces they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, 
so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where <clears throat> thieves do not break in and steal. For, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, oh, how great, how great is that darkness. See, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll, he'll hate the one and and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money or mammon. Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or, or what you'll drink. Nor about your body. What you'll put on. Is, isn't life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Which of you, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore, don't worry, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first, pursue first the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness. And all these things, they'll be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. <laughs> Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> There's enough going on today. 
for you to, not to worry about tomorrow. <laughs> worry. Uh, Father, we live with so much anxiety about things that we cannot control and about stuff that we just don't know. We look at so many situations and the immediate results of them and we say, this is good, or we say, this is bad. But if we could back up from the tapestry of human history and see from the perspective that you see everything from beginning to end, then, then maybe we would know a little better. But unfortunately, we can't do that. What we can do is lay our trust in you because you do see the beginning and the end. We can put our hope in you and not in the temporariness of our circumstances which come and go. And sometimes you allow those things to pass from us to teach us not to lean on them but instead to lean on you. My Father, would you settle our hearts in the reality of your goodness, of your kindness towards sinners, and of your love and your purpose, your intent in all those whom you have called. All those whom you've called, you've justified. All those who, whom you've called, you've, you've sanctified, you've set apart for your own purpose, Lord. You are truly the potter and we are the clay and we don't always know what you're making of us. Of our families and our friends. Of our kids, Lord. But if we would, we can look to you and we can lay our trust in you, our hope, Lord, in the one who sees the beginning and the end who isn't caught up in the temporariness of, of our circumstances like we are. These things that come and go and that we so quickly pass judgment on as to what is good and what is bad, we just don't know. My Father, would you teach us to trust you and would you work in our hearts a greater patience and endurance, Lord? Because we are confident that in this world we will have tribulation, we will have trouble, but we can be of good joy of good cheer because we we know that you jesus have overcome the world and you've given us the hope of resurrection and so we praise you lord <clears throat> would you speak to us i pray in jesus name amen 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 all right guys so <laughs> last week we talked about we summarized those three big sections that deal with uh, the beginning of, of Matthew 6. I can't believe that we went through that whole thing. 
It was amazing. <laughs> the beginning half of Matthew 6 there. Um, you know, there's so many things that we can we can nitpick and get down into a lot of there, but um, the thing that, that I wanted to stress was sort of the overarching theme there in the beginning of Matthew 6, and it was that um, the things that we do as we follow Jesus, we can do in secret. Nobody has to see. But we can do what is right because God sees everything. When we, when we fast, when we, when we pray, when we give to the poor, we can do it in secret. We don't have to make a big show of everything. We don't have to be hypocrites, actors, presenting ourselves in front of others. Instead, we can serve God faithfully in secret because he sees in secret, which is both wonderful and terrifying. <laughs> like one of the things, about, the things about marriage is that, that we ought to tell people in our premarital counseling is that marriage will expose your sin. It will, right? Because you're spending so much time with this other person. They're going to know you like nobody else does. <clears throat> right? Sometimes you live with this assumption that we're pretty good folks, and then we get married. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and and we spend so much time with another person, that, uh, and they have to choose whether or not they'll forgive us or whether or not they'll expose our sin. Right? <clears throat> Whether or not they'll work with us, <laughs> and we with them. I mean, the same thing, you know, on the other, on the other side there, whatever, you know. But the the theme there of the beginning of Matthew six was that was that God sees in secret. So don't be like actors. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the nations. Don't be like the tax collectors or the Pharisees. Don't be like them. Don't make a show of of giving to the poor. Don't make a show of your prayers. Don't make a show of fasting. But do do that stuff in secret. And use this hyperbolic statement of don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I love that. So it's so picturesque, right? It's like your one hand is hiding and your other hand's doing something, you know. <sighs> now he moves from that to the my heading here for the end of chapter six is wealth. And can I just say something? I don't think that's the right thing. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. I don't think that's what the root issue of the end of chapter 6 is. I think the root issue is this. The root issue that he's dealing with is worry. But I also I think that Jesus knows us. <laughs> and he knows that, that money is such a big deal in society. <clears throat> right? Because you need money to buy food, right? You need money to buy clothes, right? We need money to do that stuff. It's, that's how the economy works. That's how societies function, right? <clears throat> well, let's let's look real quickly here at um <laughs> real quickly. <laughs> at uh, chapter six, verse nineteen. This is where we're gonna pick up. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's so much weight to what Jesus is saying here. Let's break it down, every little part. And the reason why I'm bringing this back to worry is that I have to ask myself this question. Why do we store our treasures? We think immediately that it's about wealth, but it's not. It's about safety. It's about security. That is why we store up treasure. Because I don't have to trust God daily if I have enough money in my savings account to handle the next 
three months, right? And so I lay my trust in that number in my checking account or that number in my savings account rather in God's ability to provide for me daily what I need. But when Jesus taught us to pray earlier on in the chapter, what did he say? Pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, if I'm praying that way, it means I've got to, I've got to pray like that every day <laughs> because I'm only asking for one day. <laughs> well, Jason, then just ask for like a week. All right. <laughs> ask, for ten, ask God to provide for you for the next 10 years what you need. Ask him to provide today what you need for the next 10 years, right? That's always what we want, right? <laughs> like, why? Because then I don't have to trust God every day. I can just pray the one prayer one time and boom, I've got it. And now I can trust in that number I have. And I can try and manage that in my own ability rather than trusting God every day, right? And it goes back to me trying to be in control, which is... By the way, what the whole thing is always about. It's about who, who is God? Who's really... Am I the one in control? Guys, control is illusory. It is an illusion. We think we have control, but we don't. <sighs> don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's a pretty straightforward statement, right? Jesus is like, listen... Don't lay up for yourselves a bunch of treasures that can just be destroyed or stolen, right? Um, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, right? Or like hurricanes destroy or tornadoes destroy or whatever, you know, like whatever the, whatever the things are that are common, that are natural to the material world around us, right? And thieves break in and steal. But lay up instead, do this, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, the immediate thought is, how do I do that? <laughs> I think it goes back to the beginning of the chapter, right? What you do in secret, your father rewards openly. That's the reward that you and I ought to be after. The response of our God. Whether it's in giving alms, giving to the poor, or whether it's in prayer, or whether it's in fasting, in that kind of mourning, okay? All of those things, we can do them in secret, knowing that God rewards, God responds to us openly. He responds to that stuff. So when it comes to treasures, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because all that stuff is, it, it's, and, and I think Solomon, I think is very apropos in his uh, writing of the book of Ecclesiastes, where he's like, Solomon had everything. He had everything, right? They had so much, so much um, money in Solomon's day. They were like, we don't even need to count the gold anymore. It's just, we have so much of it. We don't even need to keep track of it. Like what? It was this reign of peace, and of course Solomon's name even means that, means peace, you know, but this reign of peace, but that reign of peace was the result, or sort of the, the fallout of the previous uh, administration, right? <laughs> it was the, the, the result then of the man who's, who had hands, bloody hands, of his dad, David, right? And the work that David did, all the military stuff that David did, he was able to provide for that, make way for that peace that Solomon had, which was uh, illusory and quickly, quickly ran away uh, eventually, right? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's no wonder to me that Jesus talks so much about giving stuff away. When the um, uh, one man came to Jesus, <clears throat> rich young ruler we call him, <laughs> right? came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to be right, essentially? you know? 
And Jesus said, keep the commandments. The guy goes, well, which ones? And so Jesus named off all of the commandments that deal with your relationship to men, interestingly enough, your relationship to other people. And he said, I've done all this stuff. I, I've kept this my whole life, you know. And then he said, what else do I need? Because the guy knows he's missing something, right? <laughs> Even having obeyed, you know, he thinks he's righteous, but he still knows he's missing something. Jesus said, sell what you have and give to the poor. Come and follow me. The guy went away sorrowful because he had great riches, right? It wasn't just that he had riches. It was that he, didn't, he wasn't interested in obeying <laughs> Jesus. <clears throat> Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I wonder if I would really believe Jesus. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And, and I get it. All the financial planners and all the people, everybody would tell us that we're stupid. You know, we live in this enormous bubble of society in, in our modern American culture that is not like any other time period in history or any other, any other place, you know. Where we even have the ability to lay up treasure the way that we do. (laughs) (sighs) Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because there's something that happens with where I put my money. Wherever I put my treasure, my finances... It is inevitable that my heart is given to that thing. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I've seen this play out over and over and over and over again with the way that I've spent my money. It is also the way that I invest my time. Like, well, I spent so much money, you know, on on this TV. I've got to use it. <laughs> I spent so much money on these, you know, these video games. I've got to play them. I spent so much money on these golf clubs. I've got to use them, right? Or whatever the case is, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You spend, you know, $80,000 on your car. You know where you're going to be thinking a lot. You know where your mind's going to be a lot. It's going to be on that car. Because wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart goes. And so Jesus is saying, invest in the heavens. That way your heart will be there too. Be more concerned about that than you are about all of these temporary things. See, the lamp of the body, verse 22 says this, the lamp of the body is the eye. The eye is what uh, gives light to the body. It's what uh, reveals um, reveals who you are in a lot of ways. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, <clears throat> the idea here is if your eye is healthy or, or clear or good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the idea is if your eye is unhealthy or your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And there's this this idea here that having an evil eye is the idea of being self-centered or selfish, of keeping things to yourself of not looking at and seeing the people, the needs around you. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? That's a terrifying statement. Imagine this. You're going around, you're living your life, whatever, and you think, man, I'm a pretty good person. I am light. I'm a pretty good dude. 
But if what you think is actually light, if that is really darkness, then how green is that? You don't even, you're so blinded to it. You don't even know that that's darkness. And, and the reality of the world that we live in is that so many people live in that place. They live in this place where they think that they know what is good. They think they're woke. Right? They think they're awake and their eyes are open and they know what is good and bad and, and the reality of things. But if what Jesus said is true, then um, so many people are, are actually blind and they don't know it. So how great is that darkness? If we have an evil eye, if we're selfish, and proud, unhealthy, but we think we're light. <laughs> how great is that darkness, he said. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great. It's, it's overwhelming darkness, you know. See, because here's something that's true. No man can serve two masters. Listen, you can for like, a, for like a minute. You can for a little bit, right? Until one of those bosses tells you to do something the other boss doesn't want you to do. Or, and some of you may have been in this in your workplace before, right? Where you've got more than one boss and one guy's like, do this. And the other guy's like, do this. And you're like, whoa, 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 wow, guys. We need to get on the same page here, right? Because I can't serve two masters. I'm, if I do this thing, this guy's going to be mad. If I do this other thing, this person's going to be mad at me, right? That's the situation that he's talking about. No man can serve. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. These ideas of love and hate are probably the common ideas of, of choosing one over the other one. Like the idea of God saying, Jacob... Have I loved and Esau have I hated is the idea of God choosing Jacob and, and not choosing uh, Esau in the way that he did uh, Jacob. So, um, No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and the moolah, right? Um, for a long <laughs> mammon, okay. For a long time, I was like, what is mammon? Nobody really taught me what it is. It's just an Aramaic word that means riches. Aramaic was sort of the common Hebrew-ish language that was spoken uh, audibly in the first century by uh, many in Israel. So that's what mammon is. It means riches. It means money. Okay. No man, you're, you cannot serve God and money, right? Because at some point, God is going to say, this is what I want you to do. And your money is going to say, but then you won't have any more of me. <laughs> right? And so you and I have got to decide. Um what exactly we're going to do. You know, I think of situations like, I think of uh, something like um, Isaac and Cleo over in Uganda and the way that they uh, just kind of took everything. Uh, Isaac had just gotten his PhD, his engineering doctorate, and and um, they both worked as engineers here, and they were like, you know what, God wants us to go over to, uh, they were in Kenya first, God wants us to go over to Kenya, and now they're in Uganda. But, um, so we're going to go do this. And they just sold their house and sold all their possessions and just left. Well, all right, you know, and I'm like, I look to them and I'm like, man, what a great example of, of just of people being confident in the Lord and trusting them. And God has been so faithful to them. They've been there a long time now, 15 years or something. Right? It's been a long time. They've been there. But um, <clears throat> I look to them, you know, and, and um, just see that kind of example set out in front of us of not following after money, because you've got to understand that, like, Isaac definitely could have stayed here with his doctorate in engineering and made a lot of the, the moolah. Um, in fact, I, I understand that he was told that it was 
it would have been it was foolish for him to go back to school to get his doctorate <laughs> actually because they said if you just stick with your job and you get your regular raises you're going to make more money than you would after you get your doctorate anyways you know when you go back into the stuff but um apparently he was able to be part of a bridge building project in uh, uganda uh, while he was over there because of his doctorate in um in engineering and uh, it also allows him a lot of freedom a lot of countries want people with American doctorates to be in their country <laughs> so uh, so it allows him he was able to I'm sure that helped with their visa applications and all of that stuff that they had to work out and and do all of that so anyways you can't serve God and money right and uh, you know Paul's writing to Timothy later on in um, one of his letters to Timothy and and, and he's just like um, Timothy Many people in their pursuit of money, they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's very instructive. I think it's really important for people in ministry, if you're serving the Lord, not to be concerned with money, certainly not to be after it. I think you're probably in the wrong profession anyways. <laughs> uh, unless you get like, I don't know, a cush job at a giant mega church or something. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Right, um, but like I remember reading an application for a pastorate. This was a church that actually somebody I knew left this church, and they they put out the like an application thing or a thing for looking for a pastor. Right, and man, it was real nice looking. They had like all this the salary, this is what you're gonna make, and you know this is what the expectations are. And I was like, man, that's nice. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> But it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, you can't serve God and money. And many people trying to have found themselves shipwrecked. They've tried to pursue financial stuff instead of God. And this comes back to, the reason why this comes back to worry is, is the question of why. Why do we pursue that stuff? Well, because, because the world works on money, right? We have this agreement of, you know, that this idea of legal tender or whatever, at least now. And even if you think about uh, before that with trade societies, it's just your stuff. You would just use whatever stuff you had to trade for somebody else's stuff, right? <clears throat> you can't serve God and money. And... The halls of church history are filled with those who have been shipwrecked because they've tried to. They've laid their confidence not in God, but in, in financial resources instead of Him. And because of worry, they've, they've pursued how they could make more money instead of what God wanted them to do, which may not be to make more money. Hey, listen, please don't misunderstand me. Sometimes it is. There are some people that God can trust with lots of money and he could do great things with it. I am probably not one of those people. <laughs> I just I just don't think I am. And that's okay. <clears throat> you can't serve God and money. I'd rather I'd rather just follow Jesus. And if he gives me enough for what I need today, then okay. And Lord, help me to trust you tomorrow. Therefore, because of that, 
Because you can't serve God in money. This is where he links the idea of worry to it, by the way. I say to you, don't worry about your life. See, this is what he's really getting at. It's not really about money. It's not really about wealth. <laughs> it's about what you're trusting in. Who's your God? Are you still, am I still trying to be God by thinking that because I have a big enough money in my bank account, I can control the things around me or control my circumstances and my family or my marriage or, or my job or whatever? Am I willing to trust the Lord? Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life. Whew. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, right? Those are three primary concerns of life, aren't they? Food and clothing, food and drink and clothing, right? Um, interesting how it sort of plays into the Epicurean, like, eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die, right? <laughs> All of that stuff the world is consumed with. Think about what dominates like the mall. <laughs> it's food and drink and clothing. Think about what dominates like our magazines. What dominates the so much of, of the world system in American culture is about foodie stuff, food and drink, and clothing. The Gentiles, the nations, are just obsessed with it. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Now, we live in an incredibly rich society. It's easy for me to read this and talk a certain way about it. But um, what about in, in poor places? What about in, in places that don't have a uh, society and economy that we have? You know, where, where maybe there is genuine concern about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Please don't misunderstand me. Certainly there are and maybe growing sections of American culture that are the same way. And kids who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. I read something recently. I forget what it, exactly what it was about. It was like a poem thing. I don't, please don't misunderstand. I don't know if it was something that actually happened or didn't, but it was basically, it was like a kid writing this poem and it was like, um, I didn't know what, I, I woke up without an alarm because my mom wasn't there and, or something like that. And I, got ready for school, and I made breakfast for me and my little sister, and I made sure we weren't late, and we got there, and we had a good breakfast at school, and whatever, and then when I got into my classroom, my teacher was mad at me because I didn't have a pencil, you know, it's like, just one of those things, or like, man, this, you know, and the idea was like this, like, teenage kid was taking care of his, his little sister, and making sure everybody's ready, and to school, and felt, and, and fed, and clothed and all of that and he had it said like he had to search through his laundry to get clothes because nobody had washed his clothes and stuff like that and so he did all of that stuff because his his mom or dad was gone they had to work and be gone for whatever reason and he even took care of his little sister and made sure they were all at school and then his teacher was complaining about him not having a pencil you know <laughs> and it was like there's there's obviously there's reality to that right where, where there, there are kids who just there's so many other things on their plate you know so many other things that they're uh, they're dealing with, but it's not just them, and and unfortunately in their situation, a lot of times it's the fallout, it's the result of those who should be providing for them, and then of course there's reasons why their lives are a mess too, you know, why why they're in the position that they're in, you know, I mean, life is complicated, people are complicated, relationships are complicated, poverty is complicated. <clears throat> Verse 
Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? These things that dominate the minds of so much of the world around us, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to wear, that dominate our cultural like thing, like like all the big deal about like what so and so is wearing on the red carpet, you know, like I, I mean, I mean, we th- that's like on the high end of things, but but you know, even on the lower things, just the there's so much thought, so much of our lives are are wasted being worried about these things. What you put on is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Verse twenty six. Look at the birds of the air. Look at them. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Now stop right there for a second. Basically, do you understand what Jesus is saying here? This is shocking. He is saying the birds of the air don't have jobs. They don't work. And um, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. They don't, they don't have storage places to put. They don't have banks. Yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. I'm not saying, and Jesus is not saying, that you shouldn't, <laughs> right? That you shouldn't work and just whatever, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look at how the look at this example. Look at the birds. I take care of them. God takes care of them. Because the issue here is, what are you trusting in? Where are we resting our hope? Am I really the one in control? Are you really? Well, I'm sure it's you that, that made sure when you were being formed in the womb that you had a mind that could comprehend the world around you in a way that allows you to hold a job. Oh, I'm sure it was you that did that, right? It was you that made sure that your legs were formed so that you didn't have to be in a wheelchair or have prosthetics your whole life or be able to do I'm sure it was you that did that, right? You know, I think about things like when I was hit by a truck when I was five, man, like, my whole life could have been different from that moment on. I could, could have been paralyzed from the neck down. I could have had severe brain injuries. I mean, the truck hit me in the head and fractured my skull and, and broke my neck and my collarbone. My whole life could have been totally different. And w- was it because of me that it's not? Did I do something? No. And, and on the other side of that, another spectrum of that, we have the, the understanding, the reality that, that there are many people who live in those places. Right? And so we can think, Lord, how can you use me to help them? <laughs> look at the birds of the year for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they don't ask this to PETA (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm so sorry (laughs) you know people for the ethical treatment of the animals or whatever are you not of more value than they the understood the implied answer here is you are of more value than the birds of the air. That is the under... Humans are of more value than the birds of the air. That's the implied understanding here. So, which of you by worrying can add one cubit uh, to his stature? 
I like that. A cubit is uh, is the distance between your elbow and uh, usually the tip of your fingers here. This is the standard measurement, which as you obviously should tell by now, it is not exactly standard, right? But it was a good unit of measurement in ancient times because most people had one, right? <laughs> no matter where you were, you could say it's about this many cubits, right? So uh, we've sort of standardized that in, in our uh, language. The average idea is about 18 inches, so about a foot and a half. Okay, and obviously that can vary depending on the size of your particular forearm-to-hand measurement. But it's about about a foot and a half is the idea of a, um, of a of a cubit. So when you're reading through all of those Old Testament things about how the the temple was constructed or the tabernacle was constructed, all the cubit measurements and all that, it's about a foot and a half is uh, what the measurement of a cubit is. So and, and and they're pretty close. Most humans have pretty close distances between our elbow to the tip of our fingers unless you're like Shaq right his is like twice the length of everyone else's <laughs> so um, obviously there are anomalies to that but anyhow which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature now now just sit with that for just a minute my being worried being having anxiety about and, and embracing let me say it this way embracing anxiety over this, these circumstances. Is that going to... Can I make myself taller? <laughs> can I make myself bigger? <laughs> by embracing my anxiety? By giving myself over to it? Certainly this applies to more than just what you're going to eat and drink, right? It applies to... Our money, <laughs> it applies to our jobs, it applies to our health, the health of those around us. Does, is being worried, is embracing anxiety going to change those situations for the better? I don't think so. What it might do is, is cause us to stress other people out. It might cause us to be short with them, angry, to mistreat people because we're embracing our anxiety and we're on edge already. And so when somebody does something out of line or something that normally we might excuse, we, we go off on them because we're, we have a short fuse now because we're already set on edge, right? <clears throat> The only reason why I'm talking about these things is because I know nothing about them. I've never been in any sort of situation like this before. I just This is not something that I struggle with or I've ever had to wrestle. Um, but I'm sure you guys have. That's why I'm talking about it. So. <laughs> Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a statue? I remember... This is probably not going to be a good story for me to tell. I remember coming home late from church the day that, um, the day that um, one of our sons was being born too early. And I remember just thinking the whole time, there's still hope. There's still hope. I know that, that Kelly said something's wrong. I know that whatever, there's still hope. You know, they could do something. Um, when I got home and I, I saw 
you know, what I saw. I was talking, talked to the 911 operator and all of that. The whole thing just crashed down. And all of my worry, my anxiety, it didn't, didn't change anything, it didn't make it better. And I just moved to this place of, of wanting to be able to say, you know, I realize now that, and, and, and I had to, I felt like I had to move pretty quickly from like, I had hope that, that he could still, something could be done to save our little boy's life. I knew that it was too early, so he still would have to, you know, be inside, <laughs> you know, um, but, but when I saw that, um, that he wasn't, everything, all of that hope just fell. And then, then my attention shifted from accepting that. That's done. I can't do anything to change it. To then saying, I just want to make sure Kelly's safe. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but all of my, my anxiety, all of my worry, you know, and this is the thing about the, <laughs> we're so smart, we're so great because we have all of all this interconnectedness now with all the social media and phones and everybody has one. It's so awesome. All it's done is heighten our, our <laughs> how neurotic we are. It's it's heightened our, our, our anxiety because as soon as you call somebody and they don't get back to you in like, you know, 30 minutes or whatever you think is a reasonable time for whatever they're doing, then immediately what happened? <laughs> you know, it's not like before when it was like you called somebody's house and you just left a message because they were out doing something and you didn't hear from them for like three days and it was fine <laughs> right so we have this like great this heightened anxiety because we have all of this in immediate connectedness but in a lot of these situations there's nothing you can do anyways and I think, why do we have such heightened anxiety? Because we think we can control it if we had more information or if we were able to get them or able to get them on the phone. or able to, Then we could control it and we could change the outcome. Or... I find that in so many of the circumstances, so many, so many of these things, it's about control. It's about me saying, I want to be in control because there's something I can do. And then I have to sit back and say, Who's really, who really is in control? Is it me? Can I trust the Lord? Can I lean on Him? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Listen to me. If I could have, I would be so tall by now. <laughs> Guys, for real. I would be... <laughs> I, I'm already a socially anxious person. Typically, I, I, I keep to myself a lot and in social circumstances a lot of times and and, uh, and and I feel very intimidated especially speaking to older men for various reasons one of those uh, one of those certainly is that I'm I'm not very big <laughs> and so sometimes I'm like this guy could just kill me <laughs> or whatever you know <clears throat> which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature if it were possible I sit here before you telling you that I would have done it the anxiety that I have had, <laughs> I would be so tall. <laughs> Alas, I am not. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Here's another example, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. He's using a similar example as he did before. He's like, they don't even work. 
The birds of the air? Dude, they don't have jobs, man. They don't have a bank to put their stuff in. And yet God takes care of them. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He wasn't even clothed like one of these in all the splendor of Solomon. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in, excuse me, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I just, I just want you to hear Jesus saying, don't worry about that stuff. If God takes care of the, the grass, which is like, it grows up, and then it's, by the way, is one of the reasons why, I don't understand why people spend so much time manicuring their yards. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Every year it all dies. Like, what, <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, called the sun, we live in Florida, just being outside is the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, because these things are true, is the idea. Because that stuff is true, God takes care of the birds of the air. He takes care of the uh, lilies. He clothes them. The lilies of the field. Therefore, don't worry. I just, I just want you to hear him. I mean, there's really not anything I need, I need to add to that. I just want you to hear Jesus. To trust Him. Don't worry saying this. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? After all these things, the Gentiles seek, right? That was the Jewish way of speaking of anybody who wasn't a Jew. <laughs> That's the stuff that, that the people that don't have this relationship to God, it's the stuff they're worried, it's the stuff they're all consumed with, and you don't need to worry about it. After all these things, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. <laughs> it's just funny. Especially when it comes to things like prayer. Because, like, I, I need to talk to God. I need to tell God. Like, you know God knows, right? You know He knows this. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pray about it. We, we should. <laughs> but, I, but I think if we... Maybe it can move us to a, a place of confidence where we say, God... We can say, God... You know, you know that we need to take care of this stuff. You know what we need. After all these things the Gentiles seek, your Heavenly Father knows, He already knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So then where should my headspace be, right? If it's not to be consumed with what I'm eating and drinking and what I'm going to wear, where ought it be? Focused on His kingdom. Remember Jesus had said earlier in the chapter, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. He taught them in the previous chapter, this is how you live in light of the kingdom. When he taught them about anger, when he taught them about lust, when he taught them about, about not having to swear, just keeping their word. When he taught them about not repaying uh, enemies, not repaying um, evil for evil, but repaying good for evil. Love your enemies, he said. That's how we, we work the kingdom out in the world around us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. 
if we would just hear him and trust him right now. See, even as I say that, immediately I'm thinking, well, what about tomorrow? <laughs> but am I going to trust him tomorrow? <laughs> don't worry about that, because you don't even have tomorrow yet. What if something happens and you die today? You were all wasting your time being worried about tomorrow, and you're dead. The interesting thing about so many of the stuff that we're going through, so much of the stuff that we're going through, is that we live in a society of people who have been through it before. Tons of people around us have been through heartache, they've been through trouble, they've been through difficulty in marriages and jobs and all of that stuff. And, and, and the reality is, <laughs> many people, we see them years later, and, and sometimes they do well through it, sometimes not, but, but they, they are through it. And I only say that to remind you that that's temporary. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. <clears throat> tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right. He's right. You know he's right. There's enough trouble today that you don't need to be concerned with tomorrow, with what's going to happen. Um, you know, Peter reminds us, First Peter 5, um, that we're to be casting all of our care upon him because he cares for us. in this epistle of joy in Philippians, one that he wrote in prison. Now, you guys are all here, so I know at least that you're not in prison, at least not right now. Now, Paul wrote this from prison. I'm, I don't know exactly what they were like. I'm pretty sure first century prison conditions probably weren't great. I'm just thinking out loud here. <clears throat> He says in, in um, Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is within reach. <laughs> it's the only way that I can let my gentleness be known to all men, is if he helps me. <laughs> be anxious for nothing, he said. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, we know this. We've heard this, all of us. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard it will keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus now please be careful because sometimes we can have this expectation of what we think that peace is and then if we're going through something and we've, we've prayed about it and we've sought the lord if we don't have whatever that picture is in our minds that we think of as peace, sometimes it can be devastating to us. Um, because sometimes we're still basing it on an emotional reaction. Well, being at peace means having some emotional feeling or not having some emotional feeling, or whatever. 
I just want to caution you about that because I've seen people who, during times of trouble, uh, they, they seem to shipwreck because they're looking for some kind of feeling for them to have to know that they have peace, and, and I don't think that's necessarily what it is. At the very core, I think all it is is a, is a sure confidence in God. that he is able and that he is at work. I still may have anxiety about the situation, <laughs> but, but having deep down um, a steady confidence that there's, there's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to do. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. A lot of times we look for peace that's based on our understanding because then we're in control again, right? if I know what's happening, or if I know what to expect, or if I know what's going to happen tomorrow, a lot of our fears are based on the reality of the uncertain, right? Because the future is uncertain, because circumstances are uncertain, whether it's with, with, our, you know, with our families, or our jobs, or our kids, or whatever, we, we're anxious, we have anxiety, because we don't know. If we know, then we are confident, we have security based on our knowledge, and then of course we're just trying to be in control again, <laughs> because we think we know, right? <clears throat> I suppose all I mean to say about all of this is that I think that God is using all of the circumstances of our lives to teach us to trust Him more. Because none of us is there yet. None of us is like fully there yet. So we're learning. All of us are in these, this place of learning to rely more on Him. And, and then we get to be then, as we pass through the things that we go through, we get to then be hopefully a bulwark, bulwark to those around us who are also suffering who are also going through trouble and difficulty, and we can say, listen, I know the God of all comfort, who's comforted me because I've been through some things, and he has comforted me, and, and I didn't, things didn't always make sense, and I didn't know what was going to happen, and yes, there were times I was terrified, and yes, I was consumed with anxiety, and yes, and yes, and yes, we can, we can have empathy, we can empathize with all of those things, having been through them. We can sympathize with them. There's a peace of God that passes all understanding, <clears throat> passes our ability to understand. And then he sort of summarizes it with this, finally, brethren, this is where we'll close, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, oh, please, when, it is, when you're dealing with what may or may not happen in the future, if all you're doing is thinking that there's going to be a particular outcome, you've got to understand that you don't know the future. And so when our mind space, when our head space is consumed with thinking that we know when we don't actually know, in the end, a lot of times I have to come back and say, you know what, why am I thinking about this? Because I don't know that it's true. And Paul says, whatever things are true, that's what we should be thinking about. But there are things about the future that I just don't know. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let your head space be filled with that stuff, right? It's no wonder to me that this is right after he says, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Sometimes, this is one of the problems. Sometimes we sort of clip out these little Bible verses and we, we miss the, the wider context of what he's talking about here. Meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. 
there's anybody that could tell us about not knowing what the future holds and about suffering and going through trouble, it was Paul, right? And guys like shipwrecked, just floating out in the open ocean for a day and a half, whatever. He was <laughs> beaten with rods five times. He received uh, 39 lashings, 40 stripes minus one on five separate occasions. The guy was one time stoned in a city with like big rocks, right? Not pot, right? Make sure we clarify that with the big rocks. He was, they threw big rocks at him to kill him, right? <laughs> right, not stoned with weed, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and then they took his body and they dragged him out of the city because they left him, then they left him there for dead, right? And then he, he gets up and he ends up going back into the city the next day. <sighs> Anyways, not only him, but think about the, I mean, these aren't the only things. Think about the, the myriad of people who've suffered throughout human history, who've gone through difficulty and trouble, not knowing what was going to happen, and all of the depressions, even, in, even in, um, throughout American history, because we have <laughs> controllers that try and control everything. When they make a mistake, everybody suffers. <laughs> um, you think about, um, you know, think about Jewish people in, in Nazi Germany. The late 30s or early 40s. But even Christian sympathizers of those Jewish people who themselves suffered because they wanted to protect them and hide them, take care of them, and themselves saw their families taken, and they cried out to God. You got to understand, they cried out to God, and many of them suffered and died. Think of the apostles. We live in this bubble in in modern American society of relative safety you know and I, my fear is that for us is that when we do face trouble um, that, that it can easily shipwreck us because we don't know what it's like to suffer even common things that everybody suffers sometimes <laughs> Because uh, it's very different, you know, the time, the space that we're alive in history is very different than the space that many people in history have lived, right? There's never been a time or a place or a culture like, like American culture and American uh, history. At least not that we know with the, you know, advancements in technology or whatever that we have. And the accumulation of knowledge, science. <clears throat> so trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path he will direct your steps Isaiah 26 verse 3 says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you and I say, uh, Lord, help me to trust you.
Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Help us not to worry. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, guys.